Well, welcome. Good morning. You know, these past few days, uh, I've experienced some of the most vulnerable moments of my professional career. Uh, about, a, about a week ago, our, our pastors, we all took a flight to Washington, D.C., and we were, uh, we were going to a conference on peacemaking, both abroad and here in our backyard, and it was hosted by an organization called TELOS, and TELOS's mission is to help bring peace and create peacemaking specifically in the conflict that goes on in the Middle East between Israel and Palestine, but also to help us as peacemakers here in our own home. Their vision their vision is, uh, is a world in which leaders and their communities claim the requisite drive, expertise, and relationships to effectively and relentlessly wage peace. And as we left for this conference, you know, I, I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on all the issues. From what I've watched, what I've read, and people I've talked to, I felt like I was pretty well informed. And if I'm being, uh, if I'm being really transparent with you, it's, it's hard for me when I don't have all the information about something. I like to be the smartest guy in the room at times. And as soon as I got there, I recognized the, the exact opposite was true. I felt like I was learning so much about what was happening from people who had experienced it, and maybe even more so unlearning some things that I thought I knew. And so... The question I had for myself in this moment is, what do I do when I don't have the knowledge or the experience that these individuals have who were raised or have been traveling in the conflict, who have been working as policymakers in, uh, in D.C. to help advance peacemaking and to end the war and the violence? What do you do when you just don't know a lot of that stuff? And, and I found myself having to choose to trust in the character of the people at Telos. And as I got to know them over the course of the week, that became a much easier task to trust their words and who they are because these were a group of people, besides being just brilliant individuals, who genuinely loved others and wanted to see peace enacted in our world. And so I was faced with the decision as they're, as they're sharing things of, do I, do I trust their character? And it was a resounding yes for me, but my guess is you've, you've all been, at some point had to do this. You've had to trust someone's words based mostly on their character uh, when you're in the absence of knowledge of experience. And that's going to be something we talk about a lot this morning. Now, to catch you up a little bit before we keep going, we're in the middle of a series called Formed, uh, and we're studying the book of Jeremiah. And one of the overarching themes in the book of Jeremiah is this idea of God's sovereignty. And so in week one, we talked about God's sovereignty over his plan and his people. We talked about God's sovereignty over idols. We talked about God's sovereignty uh, over his, his exiled people. And this week, we're talking about God's sovereignty over his word. And how following God's word is choosing to trust in his character. And I had kind of that experience at this conference, and I wonder if you guys can remember a time where you have <clears throat> as well. And what I mean is you, you've maybe had to trust someone when you didn't have all the information, if it's a parent who gives you advice, where they are at in their lives, they, they've been there, they can kind of guide you better even though you haven't been in that spot. It might be a friend who knows you, knows the situation, but aren't caught up in the emotions of it so they can advise you a little better than maybe you could for yourself. It might be a counselor who knows how to lead you to greater health because of their, uh, they're, they're professionals and they, they have the best for you. And so you can trust them even though you don't have the expertise to lead yourself to greater health. You trust them. You trust that they, um, they, they have your best interest in mind. And I thought about this idea of trust. Why do I trust somebody like that in a situation where I'm a bit vulnerable and, and uninformed or don't have the experience? And 
Uh, this isn't anything fancy. I just came to kind of two things that stuck, stood out to me. The first is when someone has expertise, it's easier to build that trust. I mean, I, I think about uh, what I think about Telos and their staff this uh, this past week at the conference. You know, they these were some brilliant people. This wasn't just a ragtag group who came together and said we're going to try to enact peace. These were people with PhDs and master's degrees. We had mega church leaders from Chicago to Texas. You had individuals who were born in the conflict and then moved overseas in order to try to enact peace. You had former chief of staffs who used their connections um, to help enact the peace in the Telos group. They had a lot of expertise, not just for conflict abroad, but how to deal with conflict here for us and how we deal with conflict with our friends and our neighbors. The other thing that I notice when I trust someone, and this is probably the bigger point, is that I trust their character, right? I trust who they are. Trust is a lot easier to give when I know that they have my best interest in mind, when I know um, that they care about me, when I know they're not uh, lying or being deceitful. You know, our, our pastors will get together on Tuesdays and we'll actually debrief the, the Sunday experience. And we'll sit and we'll be honest with one another and we'll talk about what went well, what didn't go well. Um, we'll and I can receive that a little easier for my colleagues because, one, I know we have some great speakers here, but we, they also they, they have our best interest in mind. So when we sit down on Tuesday, I'm going to ask them, hey, how did the message go? And after they share how transformed their life has been because of the message, um, they'll probably have a few critiques for me. And I can receive those because I know they're not saying the good or the bad out of a place to, uh, out of a bad place. They're saying it because they, they want me to get better, just like I want them to get better. And uh, we want to more effectively communicate God's word to his people. And, you know, at, at some point, uh, as you think about this idea of trust, it's going to tie in to the idea that God is sovereign over his word. Because we have to make a decision about if we trust God. Because if following God's word is choosing to trust in his character, then we have to ask, do we trust his word? Do we trust his character to follow through on his word? And those are the things we're going to talk about today. But before we, before we nail down that, <clears throat> I think it would be helpful to maybe unpack what we're talking about when we refer to God's word. You've heard some of this if you've been with us, but just a short summary. Um, the book of Jeremiah, God is using the prophet Jeremiah to communicate his message to an exiled people. Their city has been destroyed. Um, they're, they're seeing the ashes of it. They're in captivity, and they're wondering, God, where have you been? So this is God's words spoken through a prophet. And some of the words, some of the speech acts that God instructs Jeremiah to give to his people are a few things. He, he has them give instruction. He has Jeremiah communicate warning discipline, promise, love, and hope. And it's on those last two, I want to camp for a second, because I, I don't know about you, but I, when I hear people talk about the Old Testament God, I hear them talk about a guy who is wrathful, angry, he's full of cruelty and malice. And, and I, I'm not going to sugarcoat, there's a, there's a lot of things, a lot of violence in the Old Testament you'll read about, and trying to line that up. <clears throat> but I think narrowing God's character to being just a cruel tyrant is actually, uh, it, it, it would be very limiting. That, that's not true of who God is. And in Jeremiah, there's a passage that actually helps articulate how God, is, I believe, is actually full of hope and of love. And it's Jeremiah 29, 11. And we've talked about this passage um, in, the, in the series before. And what we've said is that this, this is a verse about God's plan, but not for us as our individual lives. It's a verse about God's plan for his people. But I want to read 
the few verses that come after Jeremiah 29, 11, because I think that context is going to give us a, a better picture of who God really is. And so I'm going to read, I'm going to start at Jeremiah 29, 11, and we're going to go to 14. <clears throat> for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and don't miss this, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into the exile. This is, these are not the words of a cruel tyrant. No, I think it's something else entirely. But I'm actually, I'm not going to give you my thoughts on that yet. I'm going to hold that off because later I'm going to give you maybe a word that I think would be better definition of God than a, than a cruel tyrant. And I think it's going to help us get this a little more. As we continue on kind of unpacking God's word, you know, the, the definition of, of what we mean by God's word or in Jeremiah, the word of the Lord, we probably need to just figure out what that is. Because I think when we think of God's word, we probably just think of, the Bible. We think of the written word, Bible verses that we read. And in Jeremiah, you may think it's just what God is communicating through the prophet Jeremiah. But God's word is, it includes those things, but it's way broader than that. There, there's, there's more to it. And N.T. Wright in his text, Scripture and Authority of God, he actually, I think, clarifies this really well when he says, And in and through it all, we find the elusive but powerful idea of God's word, he says. Not as a synonym for the written scriptures, but as a strange personal presence, creating, judging, healing, and recreating. <clears throat> and N.T. Wright's trying to say is that we think of God's word and we think of the Bible, and that is true. We can read the Bible, and we can read a Bible verse, we can read the text, and God can use it and transform us and change us, and that is true. That's 100% true. But there's this other side to it where... Uh, it is as much God's word when you're sitting at home and you have that gut feeling in your stomach that you are called to love your neighbor who has different religious or political or, or philosophical differences than you and, and you feel convicted to, to love them well, to have them over for dinner. That can be, that moment can be as much God's word as is a verse that you read in the Bible. And in Jeremiah, God is holding the nation of Israel, accountable for all the ways he's communicated to them. Whether it's scripture, whether it's a prophet, but also miracles, things that were written and spoken. He even says that he, he had written his word on their hearts and on their minds. And we're accountable to that part of God's word as well. And as, as I've seen God's word, and as I've kind of studied the text, uh, this isn't all-inclusive or all-encompassing, but I've noticed three things that tend to always accompany God's Word. Three things that seem to always come with it as I read about it. And I'm going to share those with you. The first one is this. Uh, God is sovereign over his Word. And, and I recognize that's kind of cheating. The title of the message is God is sovereign over his Word, and I just used it as a subpoint. So I recognize it's a little bit cheating. But, but it's worth noting here because what, what we mean by sovereignty is that God is in total control of his word. It will play out in the exact way that God said it would play out. He will accomplish his purpose with it. And in Isaiah 55:11, this is communicated really well when it says, "For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty." 
but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. And I, I just love this verse. Honestly, this is one of my favorite verses that I can read in the Bible because I get energy of, of just and confidence of knowing that this is how God's word operates. There is something secure in that for me. There is something that I love about knowing that this is a truth of God. He is not reckless with his words and he is intentional and he is sovereign. But you may have noticed something and I want to shine a flashlight on it because there's a dual narrative that exists in God's word. Um, and so there's truth. He's sovereign over it, and he will see it through, and it will do what he wants it to do, and that's, that's the truth, okay. But there's this other side that we have the ability to obey or disobey his word. We have some, we have some wiggle room within that. He's going to carry out his word exactly as he wants, but we can make some decisions within it. That seems a bit confusing, and I don't have a great answer for you in this moment. I, I just want to tell you, I see that tension as well. And I think it's a tension to manage, not a conflict to solve in the Scripture. The second thing I notice about God's Word is that it's transformative. It has transformative power. This is more than good advice. This isn't a podcast that you download, you take a few things, and the rest you kind of discard. In Hebrews, it says God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword. It, it gets through bone and marrow. It gets right to the heart and the spirit of an individual. And, th and this is true even from the very first page of your Bible. When you open up, the first book of the Bible is Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis. And in the first chapter, Genesis 1, you see a lot of, and God said something was created. And God said something was created. And God said something was created. And it's the account explicitly of how the world came to be as we know it. And yet, there's an implicit message in Genesis 1 that we, I want to I draw out. And it's that God's word, his, his speech act has power. When God said something, when he commanded something, it happened. It not just happened, it was a really big thing that happened. The world was created. God's word is intentional, but it is full of power. It can create something out of nothing, and it can redeem something that is broken. God's word has power. Last characteristic of God's word that I noticed was that it comes with authority. When my wife Paige and I, when we moved uh, here to do Paige about three years ago, uh, we lived in an apartment for a couple years, and we had parked our cars. You know, we're there for a couple months, and we park our cars in the lot with the rest of the cars, and we woke up one morning, and we went to our windshield, we went to our cars, and we noticed on our windshields were two tickets for $125. So we pull out the ticket, and it says that we didn't have the necessary sticker for the city. Now, I'm from Rockford. We don't got stickers on our cars, okay? And I live in Lombard now. We don't, I don't have a sticker on my car that I'm, I think I'm not supposed to have. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I haven't been aware of that situation yet. And so... You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a little perturbed by this. I didn't heard about anything. I didn't know what to do. So I, I called the city. I'm not going to tell you which one. I'm just telling you it's not Lombard, okay? <laughs> and I call the city, and I say, hey, what's up with this sticker situation? And they, um, they start sharing with me how they had clear communication on the roads, that there are signs telling you need a sticker, signs that I've never seen. And um, they shared that was my responsibility to, to make sure to get those, and I was expected to pay not only the tickets, but the additional cost of the stickers, and we need to do that fast. Um, 
So <laughs> here's what I thought about that. Here's the thing. I, pastors, pastors don't get mad. All right, pastors, they don't get into fights. They don't get angry. We don't get, that doesn't happen. We don't lose our temper. So let's call what happened next with, between me and the city aggressive negotiations. <laughs> Because I was calling them and I'm talking to them. And so uh, just a few things. I shared my thoughts about their communication strategy. <laughs> I gave them some alternate plans for their, for their sticker initiative. <laughs> I shared my, in, my, my plan that fiscally I did not feel I was responsible for anything. And I shared my intent that neither my wife's car nor mine would have any sticker in the bottom right corner at any point. Again, that was cool, calm, and collected, the whole thing. You had to trust me on that. So the city hears this, and they agree to disagree on their communication strategy. Uh, they decide to reject my alternative plan. They negotiate on the tickets on our car. I only had to pay one instead of both. Okay, win. And as far as my intent not to put a sticker on our vehicles, Paige, Paige and I, when we walked out uh, of, the, of the city's building there, um, we were proud owners of two stickers on the right corner of each of our vehicles. Um, so, yeah. Listen, here's the deal. You might see where this is going. The, the city had the authority there. They, they can enact that strategy. They can do that. And I actually don't have to follow it, but there's consequences to if I don't. Obviously, I, I had to literally pay um, some of those, but there would have been even more consequences as I said that what they've set up, I'm just going to reject. So it was in my best interest to just go ahead and, you know, pay the one ticket, get the stickers, and call it a day. And, and God's authority is way, I mean, comparing those authorities is, is, is silly in some way, but God's authority is so amazing. He's the creator of the universe. When he gives a word, it demands a response. It demands a response. And his word, when he when he gives it out, um, we have a choice to make. Do we obey or disobey? And if we disobey, we don't like talking about this a lot, but it's a reality in the book of Jeremiah and the Bible, the whole, there's consequences. There's, there's discipline when we disobey, and that, that stinks. It's a reality, and, and we could have a whole other message on that, but that, that, is, that is a truth about God because he's good and just, and he has to respond to that. But here's where the analogy breaks down. While I'm not so certain the city always has my best interest in mind, I'm positive God does. Romans 8 says that if God is for us, who can be against us? And I believe that is true. That the words that God gives you at any point, whether it's a Bible verse that sticks out, it's that feeling in your gut, it's a, it's a teacher, a pastor giving you a word, whatever that word is, I believe it is the best possible word for you at that point in your life, if, that, if that's what God's telling you. Because I believe he absolutely has our best interest in mind at all times. And it's that last idea of authority and obedience where things get a little, a little tricky, right? Because I'm willing to bet that we aren't always keen on the authority and the obedience part. Even think through the book of Jeremiah in chapter 1. At the very beginning, God asked Jeremiah, he didn't really ask him. He told him, hey, here's what I want you to do. And Jeremiah just says, I'm too young. I can't do it. I'm too young. He says, I'm only a youth. The nation of Israel, they, they disobeyed frequently in the Old Testament. The book of Jeremiah is about the consequences of their disobedience. And, and when Andy spoke a few weeks back, he said they hedged their bets. They said, you know what, God, when we need you, we're going to call on you. But when there's something we perceive not to, not to have or we want, then we're going to make our own idols. 
and we're going we're gonna to trust in the gods of other nations. They hedge their bets on God. And it doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. And I believe at the core of that is something deeper. That's not just Jeremiah being nervous about being young. It's not just Israel hoping that they would be provided for. There's something deeper there that we have to acknowledge. The core issue to me with those situations is trust. That's a trust issue. That's trusting, will God follow through on the thing he said he's going to do? Do you trust his character? And we have the same question today that we have to ask ourselves. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he, he says something that I think is, is absolutely brilliant and we all have to wrestle with when he writes, uh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what do you think about God? You know, you might be here, and as far as what you think about God, you may just think, I, I want nothing to do with him. I don't like him. I don't trust him. I don't care about his word. I want nothing to do with God. I was dragged here by a buddy. I don't want to be here. And if that's you today, I, I want you to know you're welcome here. We, we're not scared of that conversation with you. We're still glad you're here, and we, we'd love to dialogue with you, but we're not scared of that. You're still welcome at Parkview. You may be here and you may say, you know, I trust God and, and who he is and, and I think highly about him, but there's a few areas I don't like giving him. Like my finances, I'm pretty good at that, so I, I, just, I got that part down, um, but God can handle the rest. He can instruct me in the rest. Or maybe, like, you just, you know what you want to do with your career. You have a better idea of what that looks like. So, God, hey, I'm going to take care of Monday through Friday. If you take care of Saturday and Sunday, I think we'll be set. Or maybe... You have the job that you dreamed of. You never thought you'd had, and you have, and you're making more than you imagined. You have a great family and, and spouse, and everything that you wanted is true in your life. And you're, let's just be honest, you're kind of a big deal. <laughs> and, you, and you love it, and you're saying, you know what, my life is pretty good, so I've, I think I actually know how to do this better. So as great as God is, I think I'm, I'm okay. And if you're struggling to trust God's character or what you think of him, I think there could be some really legitimate reasons in the room. You might have had someone who passed away unexpectedly, and you're, and you're just wondering, where was God in that? You may have health issues that have gone unresolved. You may, you may be a parent, and your kids are kind of going off the rails, and you're like, what is next? You may have been unemployed for a while, struggling to know what's next. And you're saying, how can I trust God's character when I don't know where I don't know who he is right now in my life. How can I trust his word when I don't feel like he's shown up here? It makes, it makes the statement following God's word is choosing to trust in his character a little more challenging. And so I, I want to offer some clarity. I think it would be helpful if maybe we talked about what exactly God's character is. And I think that may, may help us on our road to following God's word and trusting him. I told you earlier that when we, when we talked about uh, how, God, how I believe God was not a, this cruel tyrant, I told you I'd give you my, my thoughts, and I'm, and I'm going to. that. I, I don't think the answer to, to God in the Old Testament and his character is cruelty or malice. I, when you look back at the things he said to his people, commandments, instruction, promise, warning, love, hope, those aren't the words of a cruel dictator. Those are the words of a dad. Those are the words of a good father. 
time and time again, God showed that to his people. Even how, how he names himself in Jeremiah, what he communicates for Jeremiah to tell his people is important. Because God has many names in the Bible, but there's two I want to I highlight. There's Adonai and there's Yahweh. And whenever you see in your English Bible, Lord spelled capital L with a lowercase O-R-D, that's Adonai. That's a title. That's Mr. Aphram. My dad was a doctor. That's Dr. Aphram. But in Jeremiah, he uses Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When they're all caps, that means Yahweh. And Yahweh is God's personal coveted name for his people. That's his promised name for his people. That's not Mr. Aphram. That's Josh. That's not Dr. Aphram. That's Dad. And as we've talked about uh, God being the potter and we being the clay and that image in the book of Jeremiah, that is true here. He is relational. That is intimate imagery. And that continues to be true. He's an intimate God, and we are adopted into that family as his children. And that may be a hard thing for you to comprehend. What does that even mean that we're adopted kids and we have rights like his kids? Well, the only way I think I can articulate is in my own experience. Because I I remember when I was um, getting ready to marry my wife, Paige, you know, Paige, her family, she had two siblings and then her her parents, Beth and Kevin, they are so close. I mean, they would stay up late nights talking to one another. They shared everything with one another. Beth and Kevin are amazing. They go to all their stuff, all their games, all their concerts, um, all their practices. Like, uh, it's kind of crazy. And so for 26 years of Paige's life, that that was their family dynamic. And I'm getting nervous because I'm about to drop this into that situation. And I'm thinking, what, what's going to happen here? And so as I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm not thinking at all that I would be entitled to what Kevin, as we talk about father, I think specifically of Kevin, I'm not entitled to any of the, the care, the love that, that they offer to their kids. Maybe I'd be a little, you know, bystander of that. Maybe I'd get a little bit of that. But I, I, I didn't think I would have it in the same way. And over the course of these three years of being married to Paige, something really cool has happened in my relationship with, with both of them, but in this case, to talk about Kevin specifically, is that when Kevin talks to me, he doesn't talk to me as his son-in-law. He's just dropped the in-law title, and he calls me his son. And suddenly I noticed that Kevin began sharing words of affirmation, and he began giving me wisdom and, and constructive criticism, and he began supporting me and encouraging me, and he began showing up to my stuff, and I, I realized over time that, that Kevin had adopted me into, into his family. He had adopted me as his son. I didn't have a right. I didn't think I deserved it. I wasn't, I wasn't part of that family growing up. I wasn't one of his kids. And yet, he made me an heir to the things that he offers to his own kids. And he dropped the distinction of in-law and just made me son. And in that relationship, it is just a taste, just a taste of who God is. Because he is an infinitely greater and more loving father than any of us could hope to be. And God loves us dearly and has made us heirs and adopted us. And just in case you needed something to tie a bow on it, 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So I want to invite you to consider what it would look like if you chose to trust who God says he is. If we chose to trust that he is actually a good father who loves us, what happens? And I think there's a really simple thing that happens, but it's kind of profound. 
It's we say yes. When we trust God's character, we say yes. We say yes to inviting our neighbors for dinner. We say yes to volunteering in the local church. We say yes to getting involved in our community. We say yes to peacemaking. We say yes to the word that God has for us because we know we're empowered by it. We know he doesn't say it lightly. We know that he has our best interest in mind. We know he is a good father. And we let God handle the outcomes, and that's a hard one. When Jeremiah was given these words by God to deliver, his responsibility was to listen, to speak, and to do. His job was not to change people's minds or change people's hearts. That's God's job. Don't take on a job that doesn't belong to you. Your job is to follow God's word. Our job is to follow God's word. Let God do the changing. We can't do that anyway, so it's useless trying. God does the heart stuff. Our job is just to follow what he says. And we can say yes confidently because we know that he gives us those words as a dad. And when we can grasp that idea, then it begins to make total sense how following God's word is choosing to trust in his character. Let's pray. God, you are a good father. You are a good father who has some words for us. And we know that you communicate that in a lot of ways, God. You, com- you communicate it through your scriptures, your commandments, your promises, but you also communicate it in, in our own hearts and our own minds. And so I pray today for a couple things, Father. I pray first for the person in the room who's thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can, can get to trusting God's character. For that person... Father, I ask that you would meet them where they are right now and you would reveal yourself as a good, good father. But for those who profess you as Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us confidence as when we hear your word in our lives that we would respond. We would respond with confidence. We would listen and speak and do the things that you've asked us to do. And we would trust that your word is the best thing for us. And all the anxieties and fears we have about how people will respond, what will happen next, I pray that you would take those and you would give us confidence in knowing that you, you've got the results in your hand, God. You, you can take care of that. Help us, God, to trust in who you are as a great, loving father. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. And I don't know, maybe in your life you're, you're struggling with your, your idea of who God is, you know, and, and because of that, you, you have a hard time trusting him. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit more about that, following the service, some of our prayer uh, team folks will be down in the front. They'd be happy to talk with you. Maybe you had a great week. You want to tell somebody about it. They're here for you as well. But, um, you know, if you have questions, they're, they're more than happy to, to spend some time with you. Um, I invite you to come back next week uh, as we continue in this series. And, I, you know, one of the things that I've been, I, I've been wrestling with uh, as I've studied Jeremiah um, 
is how in the beginning of the book, God comes to Jeremiah. He was a young guy. We don't know how young, but God comes to Jeremiah and says, hey, I have this thing I want you to do. And don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. And then Jeremiah's life at times is like a train wreck with suffering and, 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 and isolation and all these things happen to the guy. And so I, I, I struggle with the reconciling this, this promise of God and the suffering of Jeremiah. What is that about? How, how are we to understand that even as it connects to our own lives and our own experiences? So come back next week uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that together. And uh, I, think, um, I think we'll find some things in Jeremiah that'll be helpful for all of us, okay? Uh, in the meantime, have a great week. Let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. And now, Lord, I pray that as your people, we would, we would trust you as a good and loving Heavenly Father. And I, I ask now as we, as we go from this place, we, may we live such lives of faith uh, that we point people to you. May your hand of grace and peace now rest on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.